passion is that is that sort of driving force you know which um, doesn't allow you to quit and i think kindness is that balance that you don't run over everything and everyone whilst you are passionately pursuing something you know we put on our boxing gloves every day people are buying into stuff which they've never seen and when it comes in sometimes they're they are unhappy you know sometimes they're saying why is it not perfect you know there are so many things so you know if you love your work then all this is just noise there at conigo we are proud to help amazing entrepreneurs run great businesses We've learned that the greatest superpower a business owner can have to run a high-performing business is doing things in spite of, i.e. in spite of great difficulties. Hi, I'm Constance, and welcome to the Doing In Spite Of podcast, where we feature business owners and share their learnings. For today's episode, we have our guests Sam and Ruchika, co-founders of Ipse Ipsa Ipsum. Sam is calling in from his workshop in India and Ruchika from the Singapore showroom. How are you guys doing today? Very good, thank you. So you guys have not only created a great unique business in furniture, you've also managed to modernize an ancient practice of bone inlay. What made you guys decide to do this as part of your business? We were in the furniture industry and we were working for the last 20 years in trying to produce furniture out of Asia and we realized that uh, there was a gap in the market where people were all enamored by the by the very modern scandi style very old ways of doing things and we said how can we make it relevant i.e. how can it be used on a daily basis and still you know preserve the old ways so i'll just add a anecdote to this i joined this business which has been sam's family business about 10 years ago and one of the old craftsmen who had worked with Sam's grandfather came to our wedding and then i asked him so are your kids also going to be joining this will they be working with us and he said no my my grandson would rather work in the retail store he doesn't want to learn this craft from me and i told sam that it's it's a dying art and we need to do something to preserve it as well this is an incredible mission that feels ipsaips upsum what was the impact felt on the community that you worked with by your efforts to preserve this craft 70% of our workforce now is under 30 which 10 years ago would have been unheard of you know because a lot of people didn't want to join the hand making kind of business but today a lot of people in their you know in you know they see how they're being celebrated and respecting the old ways Uh, so there's a big uptake for people to learn the ancient skill. If you wanted people to do something, you had to make making sexy again, as I always say. <laughs> Doing bespoke furniture, I can imagine that the customer journey is very important. It's a very high touch business. In COVID nineteen, I imagine this has made it more difficult for you guys to do this. How did you guys manage during this time? What has changed in your business? you know we were largely reliant on doing trade shows around the world where we would meet our, our clients we've been trying to reach out to our customers with interesting storytelling engagement with the community we did a project where we said why don't we take around the community in singapore and then try and you know create some sort of an opportunity for everyone so we sourced this um, antimicrobial fabric and we found a, a craftswoman in singapore who is specially able and we requested her to make tote bags and uh, masks and incidentally at that time there was an article in the straits times about 
uh, artists being the number one non-essential job in Singapore. So we actually gave out um, an open call to non-essentials in Singapore, and we invited them to come and actually paint on the tote bags and the face masks about their challenges in the pandemic. So this was an interesting way where, you know, community comes together and you create interesting opportunities for everyone uh, through collaboration. For us, the retail part in Singapore has actually seen some improvement. People have some disposable income in terms of um, they're not traveling anymore or they want to spend more on their homes because they've been stuck in there. I think also because we could get some of the things made because we have access to the artisans. So we could try and get the things over in Singapore. So we have the end-to-end solution pretty much from the maker to the buyer. And, and that has helped us to at least deliver on the orders. So in spite of what people say about traditional businesses and COVID-19, you guys have managed to find new opportunities to thrive. In, in some ways, yes. Recessions can break businesses down, but choosing to stand for something important becomes a powerful differentiator that gives you resilience during difficult times. Sam and Ruchika's decision to support fading craftsman skills enables them to create unique products, unique customer experiences, and a community of support that finds opportunities when the usual ways stop working. Sam further describes how they bridge the old and the new in their products themselves. We thought that if we want people to still consume craft, we have to stop thinking of it as curious, but really relevant stuff. For example, we made a the straight sofa table in solid stainless steel and clover shape, which is inspired by Puranakan tiles around Singapore. And the top is in hand-cut marble, but inside the marble, we've embedded a, a wireless charger. Another piece we did was where we took an air quality sensor and a room temperature sensor and we embedded it into a mirror. The, the back of the mirror has a beautiful inlay, which was taken from a beaded bedspread at the Puranakan Museum. When you turn the mirror around, you can actually get the air quality and the room temperature. A lot of businesses today are looking to technology as a way out of the COVID-19 recession. And that's especially true for traditional businesses. This is a process you've both gone through. So could you share more about the approach and philosophy behind the technology you've adopted? Uh, to be honest, we are so busy crafting the leg of a chair that we don't uh, normally look beyond our product. But um, I, I got this opportunity to go to the NRF show in New York, which is about you know, sort of smart retail. There, you know, we were taken on, on a visit uh, to Facebook and Apple and all these guys. And, you know, we I realized that there was a lot happening. Then I started thinking, how can we apply this into our space? Our idea was to solve problems, keeping the customer at the center of the service we want to provide them. You know, we are like the slow food of the furniture business, you know, and everything takes so long and, you know, people get really pissed off with us. <laughs> That, you know, this has taken so long and, you know, the color's not as green as I thought it should be. Can you send the piece of furniture to a home? I want to put it in my space and see how it looks. I'm not sure whether it's going to look okay or not. So, you know, we said, okay, you know, let's try and solve this problem of customization through technology. The question of how will this look in my space? And what are the choices I have to customize? The VR is a very cumbersome technology. The AR was much cooler. You could do it on your phone and, you know, you could actually check 1,368 options on your phone of different furniture we have and see which one really fits your style. 
you know, without actually having to uh, transport cumbersome large pieces, you know. So having a customizer uh, with 3D renderings, which allows to see a furniture in different finishes, and then to view it using augmented reality in their space, really gives them the conviction that yes, it will look good, let me buy it. Sam and Ruchika's clear understanding of the problems faced in their business helped them narrow down what technology is likely to work. Their technology investment was outcome-driven, not simply adopting technology for the sake of it. Having this perspective is powerful for the business owner, especially when exploring industries very different from their own. One example could be how we use um, Conigal for our team. The team I would have, it could be part-time salespeople or very aged salespeople or operations team, which is a bit more towards manpower or labor, and they're not, they're not computer savvy. So to adopt inventory or to take, uh, make orders, invoices on the phone has been easier for our team to adopt rather than doing it on the computer. Now all this uh, data is coming through. How do we make sure, you know, what's selling well to understand your customer and, you know, serve them? That's where we found Conical and we thought that it was a great software, very low barrier to adopt. We'll be back with Sam and Ruchika after a word from Conigal. Need a better way to manage your business? Conigo is an all-in-one business software to manage orders, inventory, customers, and more. It's trusted by small and medium-sized businesses for being easy to use, yet having the right tools that adapt to your business needs. Sign up at conigo.com D-I-S-O and get a free demo on how it works. Sam and Ruchika also share some tips for figuring out how technology can best be adopted for any business. The first thing is understand, you know, where you can apply technology to solve a problem. Number two is also, you know, look at technology which is scalable so that you don't have to keep going back to the drawing board. Keep yourself abreast with what's happening, you know, in the world and, and don't be looking only at your competition. Try and learn from, you know, the, the companies which are really disrupting no matter in whatever space they are. What he's referring to as scalable is also just having bite-sized progression. So if something can be done in small packets and then you keep moving along, that's an easier adoption compared to biting into a very big chunk. 15% of Conigo's customer base today are husband-wife co-founder businesses. So as husband and wife, you're both partners in work and in life. How did you both come together to make Ipse Ipsa Ipsum? And what are the pros and cons of such a partnership? You can go first. <laughs> so that's the first rule. I think ladies first and the wife wins always. <laughs> I think for us, we got together to do this because we had a common denominator that we wanted to create something out of Asia and uh, which is rooted in heritage, um, which touches human lives. So with those common values, it was easier to embark on this journey to create a brand We've also clearly defined our roles in the business. Luckily, Sam and I have very different skill sets. If someone was flying the kite, I think Sam would be soaring, flying high in the sky, and I'm the one who's grounding it. I can think of, uh, you know, whenever I want to create something super crazy, she will always say no. 
So I bought a, a, an old canoe 10 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, uh, whilst we were on holiday. And I actually got it back with me in a truck to a house and craft center. And she just couldn't get over the fact that we've gone ahead and bought a canoe, an old battered canoe, which was abandoned. And now that he had bought it, I was like, what is the functional aspect you can do with this? Um, so imagine this very big dragon boat canoe in wood where you have seats where people can sit. We converted those into metal plates where you can put food and drink. It became a good seller. You know, she's not she's not telling you that, but we did sell 25 canoes. Yes. After that. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> Somehow it was quite popular. I must say, you know, it's early days and we're giving it all mm-hmm. we've got, to be honest. And I'm sure other... Uh, sort of husband-wife businesses uh, can resonate with what we are feeling. People often say work and home is a careful juggling act, but most people usually try to split work and home as cleanly as possible. What has been your experience with this? I think usually people say that let's divide work and home or let's draw the boundaries. I would say the reverse. Uh, To a large extent, as co-founders in a business and a husband-wife team, we've had to integrate our family into the work. My kids um, often thought when we were, when we would be in the arts and crafts center working on new product development. So my three-year-old would say, I've got my crayons, mama, papa's doing his craft and I'll do mine. And, And that way we didn't have to be away from them, but they could be part of our everyday. That's amazing. It's also a good opportunity for your children to understand and appreciate your work and at the same time spend good time together. So what advice would you give other businesses who run husband and wife co-founder ventures? Identify your skill set. You know, don't try and do everything. You know, let each one take the piece they are strong at. As an entrepreneur, when you're working together, when you have a small team, just focus on your strengths really. Forget about working on your weaknesses. That's for the school or academia. Be the best at what you're good at. Timothy Ferris, author of The 4-Hour Workweek, once said, quote, The superheroes you have in your mind, idols, icons, titans, billionaires, etc., are nearly all walking flaws who have maximized one or two of their strengths. Being able to identify and double down on strengths to achieve success is a counterintuitive but powerful superpower for the business owner. For Ipse Ipsa Ipsum, what is the one core non-negotiable value in spite of anything that comes your way in the business? I would say not one, I'd say two. A passion is that is that sort of driving force, you know, which um, doesn't allow you to quit. And I think kindness is that balance that you don't run over everything and everyone whilst you are passionately pursuing something. If you're able to empower people with their dreams and, you know, make their dreams your dreams, only then can they buy into your dreams of making a great organization. And I'd say that passion is something which we think is not negotiable. You know, we put on our boxing gloves every day. People are buying into stuff which they've never seen. And when it comes in, sometimes they're they're unhappy. You know, sometimes they're saying, why is it not perfect? You know, there are so many things. So, you know, if you love your work, then all this is just noise there. Mm -hmm. If you 
to think that oh, I just need a job, then I think this is not for me. I think it sounds like not to give up, but it's also just remembering why we are doing it and trying to find a solution. So that's something I would say Sam and I kind of do that a lot and also expect and um, get our team to have that attitude. So it may not be exactly this is what you need to do or this is the skill set, but ask yourself, why are we doing this? We had a girl come into the store and her mom was half Puranakan. She said, look, I, it's my mom's 60th birthday. I want to gift her something meaningful. And she went back and she came back with a soup spoon, which her mother fed her with as a child. And she said, can you take the colors of the soup spoon and put it at the back of the mirror as my mom's 60th birthday gift? This is where we, we find that, you know, common everyday objects, if put together, you know, with thought and with, uh, with care, you know, can become quite interesting for people. We worked uh, furiously to get it done. It's almost like the series we've been doing since the, the pandemic started on happy furniture. You know, if it makes you happy, if it if it ignites an emotion, if it gives you some good memories back, you know, our, our purpose is solved. Our job is done. We believe that doing in spite of is the greatest human superpower. What enables you to do things in spite of? And how has it impacted your entrepreneurship journey? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I can share with you this uh, the canoe we were talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. So we went to we went to the Paris show, and we took this uh, canoe, you know, which was clad inside with with sort of you know stainless steel, and you know we also made two silver oars. And then we had this um, this client. I think she was a like one of our Arab clients, and she had come shopping for her palace uh, in her private jet to to Paris, and she was like. I really like the sample. I'm going to take it away with me. And then she said, yeah, but by the way, can you deliver it to my plane? And of course, you know, yeah. So we were like, uh, yeah, but how do you do that? And then she's like, yeah, I don't, you know, if you guys want to sell it, you know, I'm going to leave in a few hours. You know, the exhibition is going to be over. You, you know, this, this is the money, but you got to deliver it to the hangar. How did it happen? You guys put it, you tried to wheel it to her plane? Like, Hours? Yeah, so then we had to we had to find a forklift, and we had to then find a, a reach truck, and you know then we had to, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it took us. I think we finished at two a.m. that night, but we managed to pull it through. <laughs> I hear this story a lot in the handicraft space where you guys work on a project, and then after a while you realize that your passion's not it or something's not right, and you scrap it and you go back to the drawing board. Has that ever happened to you guys? Well, all the time. Wow. Well, you, you just move on, right? I mean, well, we, we don't think that it's, it's part of routine, really. There are ideas we've been working on for the last five years. Yeah. And uh, we're still pursuing them. I, I don't think we are, we, we are the ones to give up. We don't work like traditional designers where we just come up with five to six. We really try to keep it, you know, what the consumer wants, what's on trend. So when it comes to our new launches, it is done with the idea of, we have to create several new and then just see what sticks. The other I, the other aspect of this is the price or the value buy. Sometimes um, you may have a great idea but, and it's a great design, but it, it will still not sell. Or you may you have a great design, but somebody else can copy you really fast. So there's so many angles to it. I, I guess you don't even sit and pause about it constantly because... Uh, at some point, we were getting copied so much, and we still do. 
so we stopped looking at that and just saying we, we got to keep doing or keep making or keep working in spite of. Thank you, Sam and Ruchika, for coming on today. You've shared some really amazing insights about what you guys do and the challenges faced in this niche industry. I'll see you guys around. Hope to see you soon too. Thank you very much. To know more about Sam and Ruchika, check out this episode's page on doinginspiredof.com, where we've shared their social media links and a couple of pictures from the canoe product story they shared today. That's all for now. See you guys in the next episode. Take care. <laughs>